It's all about you, Lord. That's why we're here. We didn't come to go through some religious expression, some religious event. We came here because it's all about Him. And we want our lives to be all about Him, don't we? Well, two of you do. We want our lives to be out here about Him. Amen? All right, that's what we want to hear. Well, we've been talking about starting a brand new series today, and I'm excited to do that. And in doing so, today I want to talk to you about angels. Now, there's a lot of different angels we could talk about. I mean, it's baseball season, we could talk about the Anaheim Angels, the California Angels. But since I'm a football and golf fan, I really don't know much about baseball, so I don't think I could add much to that, other than I'm sure the Marlins could whip up on the Angels. Now, something a little closer to my heart, we could talk about the Blue Angels, the Navy's flying team, sensational. How many of you have ever seen the Blue Angels? Are they amazing or what? I love them, can't see enough of them. When During Fleet Week, and if they're going to be here, go and see them. You will enjoy them, but as much as I enjoy them, we're not going to talk about those today either. Now, how many single guys we got here today? Single guys, raise your hand. There we go. You might be interested in Charlie's Angels. I want to do a poll. How many of you think that the original Charlie's Angels were the best? Uh, uh, okay, how many of you think the new Charlie's Angels are the best? I wouldn't know. I wouldn't watch an ungodly show like that. Here's one all the ladies are going to go for. How about our darling little angels? Oh, look at those pictures. Are they gorgeous? Look at those little babies dressed up as angels. Don't they just, just capture your heart? Problem is, they grow into adolescence and they become more like hell's angels. <laughs> Which is actually closer to what we're going to be talking about. But what we're going to talk about today are the angels that God created. A very special creation by God. Now, when we normally think about God's angels, pictures like this come to our mind of a family out in the middle of a, of a field during a terrible lightning and, and tornado storm and, and there's an angel there with wings spread out over them. Or this famous portrait of a couple children walking across a rickety old bridge and there's an angel standing right off of their, their shoulders watching over them. A child lying in bed at night and an angel hovering over the child protecting the child through the evening. These are the scenes in our minds that we have of angels, and they're not totally inaccurate. But there's so much more to angels. In the book of Job, God declares something really important. Now, most of us remember the story of Job. Some of you may not. If not, Job is an Old Testament character. And Job went through a series of life trials like nobody has ever experienced before. And it was all a test by God to determine his faithfulness. And he, he was a wealthy man, lost everything he owned, lost his family, lost his health, everything but his life. And yet, he withstood all these tests with great faith. But there was a time when everything kind of started wearing him down, and he started questioning God. Now here in Job 38, verse 4 and 7, God starts getting back in his face. And he says, where were you when I laid the foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimension? Surely you know. 
Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid the cornerstone? In other words, God said, where were you when I created the earth? Where were you when I created the universe? When I put the sun, the moon, the stars in the place? Where were you? Come on, tell me, big guy. You know. Tell me what you know about me. Then, God says something really interesting. He says, well, the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy. Do you know that our creation isn't the first creation? When we were created and our world was created, there were already created beings in existence. And God identifies them right here. He calls them morning stars who sang together while he was creating everything. Angels who shouted for joy. See, God had already created the angelic beings before he created what we enjoy today. Now, Psalm 148, 1 through 5 says, Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him from the heights above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. God created the angels. Now, got to ask, how many did he create? Well, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 22, it says, But now you have come to Mount Zion. Now he's talking about heaven, entering into heaven. It says, To the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God, look what it says, You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. In other words, he's saying, You come up into heaven, you come up into the eternal kingdom, and one of the first things you're going to see are thousands and thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Now, the Bible says in Revelation 5.11, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, agreeing with the Hebrew passage, but goes on and says, And ten thousand times ten thousand. They circled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. Here in this glimpse, the Apostle John not only sees thousands and thousands, he says, I saw ten thousands times ten thousand. The fact of the matter is, we don't really know how many angels God created, but we know that there are thousands and ten thousands and probably hundreds of thousands of them out there in the world. But here's what we need to remember. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Now, why is it so important for us to grasp this as we enter this new series? Because we need to understand this, that the angelic realm was created by God, and that in itself makes them infinitely inferior to himself. He created them. They didn't, they weren't around. They didn't self-generate. He created them and he, they were created by him and they were created, what does Colossians say? For him. Don't mistake that. Now, God created three kinds of angels. At least that's what scripture tells us. 
The first is just the kind of the, the biggest group, and that's the angelic ranks, the angelic beings. The Bible says in Psalm 91.11, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. This is kind of where we get the guardian angel concept. Now, in its context, it's actually a foreshadowing of Messiah, saying that the angels of God would guard Messiah in all his ways. And remember, it was the angels that when Jesus finished his 40 days of temptation in the wilderness that came and ministered to him. God sent the angels to minister to him. The Bible says in Psalm 103.20, Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones, who do his bidding, who obey his word. Remember, they were created by God, and they're created for God, and their purpose is to do the bidding of God, and to obey His Word. Now, we see angels interacting with mankind all the time. In fact, the Bible warns us, even today, that whenever we're in the presence of strangers, we should be very careful, because what? We may be entertaining angels unaware. See, God has always had angels interacting with mankind. There are countless stories, and even we hear stories today that, that kind of infer that that's what happened. But God uses angels to do his bidding, and his bidding is usually involved mankind. Now, it also says in Matthew thirteen forty nine, Jesus reminded us that this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous. At the end, when judgment is coming, God will send the angels and they'll separate the wicked from the righteous in preparation for the ultimate final judgment upon unrighteousness by God. Now, there's another group of angels called seraphims. The seraphims are introduced to us in the book of Isaiah chapter 6. As you recall, God pulled back the curtain of heaven and allowed the prophet Isaiah to get a glimpse of the throne room. And when he saw the throne room of God, Isaiah cried out, I'm ruined, I'm undone, I've seen the Holy One. And God had to send an angel to purify him. So he took a coal from the altar of God and touched his tongue. And that angel was a seraphim. And Isaiah saw the throne room of God, and he describes what the seraphim looked like. He said they have six sets of wings. With one set of wings, they covered their feet, because in the Eastern culture, exposing the feet was, was a social no-no, a taboo. It was a sign of disrespect. Two other wings, they hid their faces from the presence of the holiness of God. And with the middle set of wings, they flew around the throne of God, singing over and over again, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy is He. May His being fill the earth. And so it is the specific duty of the seraphim to continually worship God. That's what their job is. That's what they do. Covering their feet, covering their, their faces, and flying around singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, now can, can I chase a rabbit for a second? And just confide in you that, you know, when I first considered this, there's a part of my flesh that said, man, I don't know if I would like being a seraphim. I mean, I like to praise God, and I love singing, and, and I, I love church. And I, but I don't know if that's... My whole purpose in life, if that was to fly around the throne room of God and just praise Him. Then it dawned on me, the reason that we tend to think that way sometimes 
is that we really don't have an appreciation of who God is. We really don't. When we really get to experience God, I believe with all my heart that we are going to want to spend every second of eternity in His presence because it's going to be such an amazing presence. Now, if you were here for our series on, on, on heaven better than hell, I guess, you know that's not what we're going to do. God's got another plan. But I do believe that periodically we are going to take pilgrimages back to the New Jerusalem God's going to send heaven down, the new Jerusalem, and, and then, then the, he's going to create a new heaven, new earth. I believe we're going to get to go back and be in the presence of God. And I think it's going to be the thing that we will look forward to more than anything else in eternity, is getting in the presence of God. So I believe that the seraphim, even though this is their sole reason for existence, I believe that they do it with joy and passion and never for a second grow weary of being in the presence of God. Now, there's a third group called cherubims. Cherubims. Cherubims are portrayed as angelic protectors, angelic guards of the holiness of God. You recall when Adam and Eve fell into sin in the Garden of Eden, God cast them out of the Garden of Eden, and he put what at the entrance to the garden? Put an angel. Actually, he put a cherubim. He put a cherub there with a flaming sword to protect the way to what? The tree of life. It was a cherub. They are the attendants to the throne of God. They are the guardians of the throne of God. Now, three are mentioned specifically in Scripture. Three cherubs. The highest order of the angelic creation. The first one you'll readily get, his name is Gabriel. He's mentioned in Daniel chapter 9, verse 21, Luke 119, Luke 126. And Gabriel's name means mighty one of God. He's seen with great strength and is the fast angel. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 21, Daniel's having a vision. God is sending him revelation. And he sends Gabriel to give him this revelation of what God's going to do with Nebuchadnezzar and what he's going to do with the world. And Daniel describes as he said, and this one who came to me before Gabriel came in swift flight. I mean, he really moves fast, in and out. He's there, he's gone. He reveals and interprets God's program for his kingdom. Gabriel is the one that God sent to the Virgin Mary to announce to her that she was going to be with child by the Holy Spirit and that she was going to give birth to the Messiah. And when Gabriel came to Mary, he announced himself. He said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Most Holy. His job is to stand there by the throne of God and wait for God to send him on a mission to either reveal something about the kingdom or to interpret something about the kingdom. He's the messenger angel. And we see him in Scripture going out and proclaiming something that God has told him to proclaim. I believe that it's entirely possible that it will be Gabriel that sounds the trumpet blast for the rapture and the second coming of Jesus Christ. There's another angel, cherub, called Michael. He's called the archangel. Michael is the general of the angelic army. His name means who is like God. 
And in all his majesty, in all his power, in all his strength, in his beauty, the implication is nobody is like God. Look at this phenomenal angel, the general of the angelic army, and yet his name implies no one is like God, not even me. He is seen in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 7 through 9, as leading the angels, the holy angels, in defending heaven during a battle there that we're going to talk about just in a minute. Now, I told you there's three cherubs that are mentioned. The third one is the greatest cherub angel ever created. The third one was the highest being of the angelic ranks. We know him by the name Lucifer. And his name means son of the morning, son of the dawn. You know, here in South Florida, we get to go down to the Atlantic Ocean occasionally at sunrise and and watch that beautiful sun come up over the horizon. And as it comes up over the ocean, the rays just spread out in great beams. And it's a sight that is so beautiful, it's, it's indescribable. That's what Lucifer's name means. That kind of beauty. The Bible elaborates on his beauty in Ezekiel chapter 28, beginning in verse 11. It says, You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, ruby, topaz, and emerald, crystallite, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold on the day you were created. God says of Lucifer, says, there was no one like you. You were perfect in your beauty. You were supreme in your majesty. Your clothing was every precious gem known to creation. He goes on to say, you were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. God said, looking out from the outside, you were perfect. You were the most amazing creature I had ever created. And I ordained that you would be the supreme angel of all the angels. But there was a flaw on the inside. Isaiah 14 describes it. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mountain assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will make myself like the Most High. Lucifer, in all his majesty and his beauty and his splendor, wanted a promotion. And he was already at the top of the list of the angelic beings. There was only one place to go. And that's where he wanted to go. He wanted to be like God. Now, when he rebelled... The result was instantaneous. 
The Bible goes on to say, Ezekiel 28, 16, So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth, and I made a spectacle of you before kings. God banished him from heaven, threw him out. Now, what many of us might not know is that Satan was not alone in his rebellion against God. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 3 and 4, Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. It says, His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. Now, we're not talking about literally celestial stars here. What we're talking about, again, like the stars of the morning, the stars of God. We're talking about a third of the angels. goes on to say, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So when Lucifer staged this rebellion against God, the result was that Michael and the angelic holy angels overcame them and God banished them all to the earth. And today, they exist here in the earth and on the earth, and we know them as the demonic realm. And listen to me. Those now fallen demonic angels are just as real as the holy angels of God. How many? We don't know, but we know there's ten thousands times ten thousands of angels that were created. And a third of them joined the rebellion, so there's a bunch of them. Lucifer, son of the morning, so splendid that he decided to exalt himself over God. Now, look closely at what Jesus said about him. In John 8.44, Jesus says this. Now, Jesus is addressing the hypocritical religious leaders of Israel. And he says to them, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. Now look what he says of Lucifer. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the what? The truth. For there is no what? There's no what? There's no truth in him. When he lies, Jesus said, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar, and he's the father of lies. Understand what Jesus is saying. He's saying that whenever and wherever Satan speaks, mark it down, he's lying. There's no truth in him. He's lying. He's manipulative. He's a liar from the beginning. He's the father of lies. And his ultimate strategy is to murder. 
Look what it says again in Revelation 12, 7 through 9. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. Look what he says. Read it with me. Who leads the whole world astray. His strategy, his plan is to lead the entire world astray. He's not giving up his coup. He still thinks he's got a chance. If he didn't think he had a chance, he'd have never got Christ to the cross. His plan is to lead the entire world astray. Astray from what? Astray from truth. Astray from God. Satan is lying to you. He's lying to you. He's lying to me. He's lying to our culture. He's lying every single day. And that's all he does is lie. But he has this extraordinary ability to make his lies seem plausible. To make his lies seem logical. To make his lies seem attractive to us. Because when he speaks, he speaks lies. Now 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 says this, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. His entire existence is all about bringing us down. And his main strategy for doing it is lying. But he has other strategies too. But we're warned to be alert because he's prowling around like a roaring lion. Now, several years ago, I listened to this really great message by Tony Evans. And he was talking about this passage. And he had done some research into this passage about lions. And this whole idea that lions roar when they have their prey. Lions are very crafty. You've seen them on National Geographic and the Animal Kingdom and all that. They're very quiet as they stalk their prey. And then all of a sudden when they get strategically in the right place, they pounce on their prey and they dig those long claws deep into their prey. And it's at that point that they lift up their mane and they roar, a ferocious roar. Now, what Tony discovered, and I thought was fascinating, and he reminded us that this is not a victory celebration. Animals are not like human beings. The lion doesn't jump on the, the, the gazelle and go, rawr, rawr, rawr. I gotcha. I win. This is a predator. It's doing what he naturally does. doing what he, what he has to do every day to survive. The reason that lions roar is because they're afraid of jackals. And jackals travel in packs. And jackals are are creatures of convenience. And they let somebody else do the kill, and then they come in, and they attack the killer, and drive them away and eat the prey. Now, lions are afraid of jackals. So what they do is when they finally make their kill, they roar as loud as they can to try to intimidate the jackals so that they won't come around. When in fact, if they show up, the lion's going to run away because he's really a big wimp. That's how Peter describes the devil. 
See, what the devil does is he sneaks up on you. Through a lot of different means. Lying is one of his main things that we're going to discover. Then through some kind of life experience, when we kind of get sucked into to his, his, his strategy and his manipulation, then he roars. Now he doesn't roar because I got me one. He roars to intimidate us. To cause us to believe that all is lost. That there's no more hope. That we are in his clutches. That we've offended God. God will never listen to us again. God could never forgive us again. He roars and roars and roars and roars trying to intimidate us into spiritual paralysis. When the fact of the matter is He's really a big wimp, and he knows that the moment we call upon the name of Jesus, he's got to get out of the scene. That's why Peter says, resist him, standing firm in the faith, standing firm in the truth. So, what are Satan's believable lies? What is his strategy? What is he using against me? What is he using against you? What are those lies? We'll come back next week. (laughs) And we'll reveal the first one. For now, know this. Satan is a real being. He has an army of one-third of the originally created angels. His entire passion for existing now is to take you down, to destroy you. To immobilize you. To crush you. To make you ineffective for anything of God. But listen to me. Especially those of you who have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Bible declares to us, greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us than Satan and his third of the demonic fallen angels of God. But he's lying to you and he's trying to get you to think that that third is stronger than the two thirds remaining. And that he in any way can even begin to compare with his creator. And it's all a lie. And what we're going to do over the next several weeks is we are going to unmask some of those lies so that we know them, we identify them, we see them, and we don't fall victim to them or at least stay under their influence. Let's bow our heads. Let me ask you this. What voice have you been listening to recently? What voice in the back of your head? 
Is it the voice of culture crying out to you to have some fun, enjoy life? Is it the voice of fear? Is it the voice of discouragement? All those things are real. Life can become discouraging. Life can get really scary. Culture can seem very attractive. But listen, when Satan's behind those voices, it's all a lie. And it's all designed to take you down. Right now, I'm going to invite those of you who are believers in Jesus Christ to evaluate what voice or voices you've been allowing to control your life. And then I'm going to invite you right now to come back to God if it's not God's voice. I'm going to invite you right now to confess to God that you've been led astray and come back to Him right now and rededicate your life to Christ this morning. But maybe you're here and you have a greater need than that. You have the need to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have the need to receive His gift of eternal salvation. And in just a moment, we're going to give you that chance.